Shalom, and welcome to Parasha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Abraham Fisher, and this week we read another double parasha, Behar and Bechukotai. In this way, we'll be sure to uh, not only finish up the book of Vayikra before Shavuot, but actually the goal is to read the admonitions, which I'll talk about soon before Shavuot, and uh, that means also that we're going to be uh, finishing up the book of Vayikra uh, with this uh, with this reading. So, uh, Bahar itself uh, starts off with a detailed discussion about Shemitah, the seventh year, which we've talked about before. And the Torah reminds us that in the seventh year, we do not work the land of Israel, and uh, any naturally growing uh, produce is uh, permitted for all, not only uh, for people, but also for, uh, for animals. Uh, they, it is uh, permitted for all to use. This is uh, on the level of the Torah law. Uh, rabbinic law uh, may have more to say about it, uh, the Rabbanon, but we're, we're looking at the parasha right now. Then the Torah... Uh, continues and says that uh, not only do you have Shemitah every seven years, but you are to count uh, the years every seven years and then another cycle of seven years. And you continue to do this until you come to seven times seven years, which is 49 years. The 49th year will be Shemitah. And then the 50th year has a special character. It's called the Yovel year. Uh, it is uh, ushered in on uh, Yom Kippur at the very beginning of, uh, of the year. And on that day, on Yom Kippur of the Yovel year, uh, the proclamation is made by means of blowing a horn. And here, in this context... The word that's used for the horn is the yovel. The word yovel is a horn. So that is a proclamation, and that means uh, that it's time for freedom. Uh, first of all, all slaves are emancipated. Uh, even those slaves that, uh, because uh, they declared that they did not want to go free, uh, and they had their ear uh, pierced, and then they remained a slave, but they remained a slave only until yovel. Also, there's a return of property. Uh, land that was sold uh, returns to its original owner. And once again, uh, Yovel is like Shemitah in that it is also a year of not working the land. Now, because we say that the uh, property returns to its original owner in Yovel, so there's much to say about the purchasing and selling of land uh, during the rest of the uh, years. So the Torah says that when you uh, set a price for the, uh, for the value of a piece of land that you are uh, selling, so its price is based on how many years, how many crop years are left until Yovel, because uh, once Yovel comes, that sale, uh, under most circumstances, uh, are, that sale is reversed. Uh, the Torah reminds us that we are not to cheat each other. Keeping in mind the fact that there is a certain number of years until Yovel, uh, we should neither overcharge nor underpay uh, on either side of the transaction. 
the Torah assures us that uh, if we rely on Hashem, uh, Hashem will bring blessing to the land, and uh, then uh, there will be uh, three years' crops uh, produced in one year, usually the sixth year uh, before the uh, before the Yovel. Uh, there's not going to be any planting or, or working the land in the seventh year, nor in the which is the 49th year, nor in the 50th year. Uh, so these, the year before that, let's call it the 40, 48th year, needs to produce a great deal. So Hashem assures that there will be uh, much produce uh, if uh, we rely upon Hashem. Uh, the Torah goes on to say uh, that uh, sometimes it happens that the person, because of poverty, uh, needs to sell uh, property. Uh, including the property that uh, that the tribe and the family received at the division of the land during the time of Yehoshua. But sometimes because of poverty, a person needs to uh, sell. So the Torah says that uh, a close relative called a Goel can redeem the property, can buy it back and return it uh, to, the, to the family. And any relative can do this. Um, and uh, alternatively, the person himself can redeem the land when he can afford it. Maybe he sells the land and then begins to save up money. Uh, and when he does uh, redeem the, the land, um, then uh, it, it's necessary to calculate what's the difference between what was originally paid and how many years were left till Yovel, uh, again, so as not to, uh, to cheat each other. Um, the Torah points out that there's a special rule uh, of a house in an unwalled, in a walled city that is purchased, uh, for such a, uh, for such a property that is sold, uh, there's a limit. Only one year of redemption, uh, time uh, is, is allotted. Uh, past, uh, after that time, then the, um, then the land remains, the house remains, uh, in the prop, in the possession of whoever bought it, it does not return. Uh, the Torah talks about unwalled cities and also the cities of the Levim, uh, and how these rules apply to them. Since we're talking about uh, buying and selling, and especially selling because one needs the money because of poverty, so the Torah continues the discussion of poverty um, by reminding us uh, to help the poor in whatever way uh, we we can. Um, where if by helping the poor. Uh, in order to help the poor, you give the poor a loan. Well, uh, the Torah reminds us once again not to take interest, not to charge interest. Um, we are reminded once again that if a, a fellow uh, Hebrew, a fellow Jew, uh, is uh, sold to you as a slave, he only remains so until you avail and not beyond, and during the time that he works for you, you are not to dominate him. You give him work, but it must not be uh, work that is uh, pointless. Um, and then there are rules about how to deal with non-Hebrew slaves. Uh, if a Hebrew slave has been sold to a non-Hebrew, then there's a particular uh, obligation to try to redeem him, uh, preferably a, a relative. Or, uh, but the idea is to uh, to, to redeem him, uh, because, as the Torah concludes this section, uh, B'nai Yisrael, you are my servants, you are my slaves, Hashem says. Uh, and the idea is not to be uh, enslaved to uh, ideally to no one else, uh, but if it's necessary to be in, to be enslaved, not to someone who uh, might force you into idolatry. Um, 
which uh, might explain <coughs> the transition to the next section of the parasha, because the parasha Bahar concludes with a number of other mitzvot, um, starting with idolatry. The Torah reminds us once again that idolatry is prohibited, and it's possible uh, that this uh, is being repeated here uh, as a reminder that uh, if one is sold as a slave to a to a non-Jew, that does not uh, permit idolatry. Certainly, no idolatry is ever permitted, uh, but it may be a reminder. But there are other uh, idolatry-related uh, mitzvot that are mentioned here, including bowing down on a stone floor. Bowing down on a floor is something that is done only in the service of Hashem, <clears throat> that is to say, only in the Beit HaMikdash. Otherwise, it is not done. And the Torah concludes by reminding us once again to observe Shabbat, all of the Shabbatot, that means Shabbat and all of the festivals, and to uh, treat uh, all sanctified places uh, with, uh, with the proper respect, with the proper uh, reverence. Uh, the Torah uh, then uh, makes the transition to um, the last uh, parasha, as I said, uh, we read two parashiot. So the next par- parasha, which is the last parasha in the book of Aikra, is called Bechukotai. And uh, the first part of it is what we might call the covenant that's made at, at Sinai. It's another covenant that's made, or this is the conclusion of the covenant that is made. It goes back to the time of the giving of the Torah at Sinai, but now the, co- the covenant is made in the context of uh, admonitions. Uh, what will happen to you if you uh, fulfill the mitzvot of the Torah and what will happen, God forbid, if you uh, reject the mitzvot of the Torah. Those are the conditions of the covenant, positive and negative. So, in the positive side, the Torah says uh, that if you are obedient to the commandments, then all kinds of blessings are promised. Fruitfulness of the land, peace in the land, fruitfulness of the people, increased produce, and the divine presence will rest in the land. On the other hand, the Torah goes into quite a bit of detail about what will happen uh, for disobedience to my commandments. And these are, these are curses. These are serious uh, admonitions. And uh, with, uh, uh, with almost uh, painful uh, clarity, the Torah tells us about the terrible things that can happen. Uh, diseases, famine, wild beasts... Uh, sword, destruction, and uh, c- concluding with exile, that the people will be exiled from the land, and these are things that actually took place in the time of the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. But the Torah concludes this, this admonition, these uh, admonitions with words of consolation. Uh, that is, that no matter how far away you uh, may be, uh, Hashem will not completely abandon you, uh, and we'll look forward to the opportunity for you to return. Um, this is a hint to the idea that it is possible under these circumstances to do tshuva, and these are words of consolation. Uh, the Torah then has uh, an additional chapter uh, of mitzvot that are related in one way or another to gifts that are offered to the sanctuary, that are offered to the, to the Beit HaMikdash. Uh, <clears throat> such as uh, evaluations of persons. A person uh, takes upon himself, makes a commitment that he is going to give the value 
uh, of himself or of someone else. So the Torah tells us how to evaluate the worth of a person using the term erech, which is a value, uh, and that's the amount that is given to the sanctuary. Um, we're also taught about the mitzvah, it's called Timurah, the prohibition against exchanging a sacrifice. If an animal has been sanctified, then one is not permitted to exchange it for uh, for another animal, even one that's better. And if one does so, one violates, and not only is one in violation, but uh, what he tried to do didn't even doesn't even work. Uh, so that both the original animal and the one he tried to exchange it for, both of them uh, are sanctified. Uh, <coughs> the Torah reminds us about uh, uh, various donations that can be given to the uh, Mikdash, to the sanctuary, especially for the upkeep of the sanctuary. Uh, if someone makes a donation, then the Kohen might have to evaluate what the thing that has been donated is, uh, is worth. Um, and uh, sometimes for the purpose of the uh, redemption, uh, it's necessary to add a uh, what's called a fifth, but is really uh, 25%. We've had this before. Uh, that is, uh, it's called a fifth because when you add it to the principal, it is one-fifth of the total. But it uh, starts off as one-quarter of the principal. Um, and also the Torah talks about the redemption of houses and fields in order to donate to the uh, Mikdash. Uh, we're told that, uh, we've been told this before, that the firstborn of animals are uh, holy, and because they are born with uh, inherent sanctity, they may not be sanctified for a different purpose. The Torah also talks about uh, what happens if someone declares uh, someone or something banned, cherem. Uh, so these things, these, the uh, monetary value goes to the mikdash, there's a difference between property and uh, also, uh, people, if a person has been condemned to death, uh, then he, uh, and someone tries to donate that person's uh, value, uh, that's a problem because since he's condemned to death, he really has no uh, value. So it's a special rule. Uh, the Torah concludes with uh, rules of ma'aser, taking, uh, taking ma'aser. Remember, we've said before that after taking truma, one also takes ma'aser. Uh, the first ma'aser goes to the Levim. And here the Torah talks about the second ma'aser. The second ma'aser, the second tenth, uh, is uh, brought to uh, Yerushalayim and, uh, and eaten there. Or, if one is too far away, it's uh, exchanged for money. And the money is brought to Yerushalayim where one purchases food and eats that food uh, in Yerushalayim. And uh, the last part of it uh, talks about ma'aser of animals. Uh, all the animals that are born in one particular year, so one-tenth has to be given as uh, ma'aser to, uh, to the mikdash. And the way it's done is the animals are made to pass through a, uh, a, a small opening in a fence, and uh, you count one, two, three, and when you get to the tenth, then the tenth one you dab with some red paint, and then you know which one is the ma'aser. The Torah concludes uh, this parasha, as well as the whole book of Vayikra, by saying that uh, these are the mitzvot that Hashem gave B'nai Yisrael when they were on Har Sinai. Uh, this, uh, in, in essence, it embodies and includes all of the mitzvot that we've been hearing about uh, since the giving of the Torah. Now, in the uh, section of the Torah that, uh, that talks about the admonition uh, for disobeying, uh, 
uh, one word repeats itself many, many times, and that's the word keri. Uh, it's a word, kufreshiud. It's a word that appears several times in this section. Um, if, you, uh, if you act towards me with keri, uh, such that you do not want to uh, follow my mitzvot, etc., or reject my mitzvot, then God says, I will act towards you with keri. Uh, and like I said, this word is mentioned a few times. Uh, the translation that I included here uh, uses the word hostile, if you remain hostile toward me. But that's not the only way of understanding it. Uh, <clears throat> Rashi um, uh, includes uh, a few ways of understanding this uh, word. Uh, he quotes the rabbis uh, that says that the word uh, keri is related to the word mikre, uh, which is something that happens by chance. In other words, happen, happens without uh, planning. And uh, what it means is follow the command, following the commandments irregularly. Uh, the Torah is uh, critical of someone who only does so uh, sporadically. Uh, irregularly, only by chance, not with a sense of purpose, not with a sense of mission and devotion to Hashem. That is this one understanding of uh, Kerry. Certainly it's a type of relating to God that uh, we should avoid. Rather, we should uh, aim to relate to Hashem uh, with purpose, with what we call Kavanah, uh, but not uh, in a slapdash or uh, happenstance uh, way. Uh, Rashi also quotes uh, the grammarian Menachem Ibn Saruk and uh, relates it to a different word and says that the word uh, carry is related to a word that means to refrain. Uh, and uh, according to this, it would mean if you, uh, if you relate to me, God says, uh, with, uh, by refraining, meaning through stubbornness, uh, that they harden their hearts so as to refrain from coming near to me. Uh, Rashi says that this is also reflected in the understanding of Unculus, the translation of the Torah into Aramaic. Um, so if you relate to God through stubbornness, well, and God is going to relate to you in exactly the same way. Uh, this is more than just a, an academic dis- uh, dispute about what's the way to analyze this word, because the truth is uh, it may include uh, these more than one uh, implication, all of which are ways uh, of relating to God that we should avoid. We should avoid uh, relating to God in a uh, catch-as-catch-can way, as well as in a stubborn way, in a refraining way. Uh, rather, and the, the, uh, the consequence of that is that the way that we relate to God is the way that God, in turn, relates to us, which is really very important to keep in mind. Instead, uh, as I've said, our relationship to God should be one of kavanah, of service that uh, comes from both uh, yirah, awe, reverence, and ahava, and love, a desire to be close uh, as possible to the creator of the universe. And with this, uh, we conclude the book of uh, Vayikra. As I said earlier, uh, part of the uh, the decrees of the rabbis is that we must read this passage, the admonitions passage, before Shavuot, so that we are prepared for uh, what Shavuot is about, which is the giving of the Torah. It's a way of reminding us uh, what should our 
uh, frame of mind be uh, before the uh, holiday of Shavuot. We don't have Shavuot immediately, uh, but uh, still a couple of weeks before we have Shavuot, but it's important to have read this section before uh, Shavuot so we are prepared to receive the Torah uh, with a full heart. I thank you very much for joining me in this uh, discussion of Parashat HaShavua, Baharin Bechukotai. This has been Rabbi Avraham Fisher for Parasha Highlights and Insights, saying Shalom.